are we, are we ready to get we going should here? Start, yeah. Should we start? Let's see, uh, see where we're going. Let's do it. <laughs> here we go. It is time for Doc Talk with Dr. Jenna Burton and Cheryl Sarmas joining us. It's uh, when, uh, How long since we last spoke, Cheryl? I think it's probably been, a year ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. At least a year. Yeah, at least a year. It's the beginning of lockdown, I think. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be fun. We're, we're back. We're chatting. You're really busy. So we're really lucky that you could do this. <laughs> And we're going to talk schizophrenia and, and bipolar disorder and and who knows what else. Jenna's probably got something else she wants to talk about. It's normally you that takes <laughs> us off on a tangent. It's not me. <laughs> did, you, did you put notes in there, by the way? Because I, I you Are said, you trying to uh, make a point of the fact that I didn't do my homework, James? You didn't put the notes in there? I didn't put the notes in there. <laughs> okay, good thing I did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Polish your halo in the corner. Yeah. I'm doing that. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Navy's bullying me. Look at that. Look at that. She's sleeping. It's great. I mean, I am actually sleep training Neve, so I'm not supposed to have her held to sleep. We're supposed to be getting to sleep in the corner, Uh, but, you know, I've let it slide. Uh, You know, I've read all those things. I just hold them. It's like, you know what? We just held our kids till ever. Yeah, but they eventually I had, got over it. I've had three and a half years of no sleep with the boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, so I'm, I'm not going to make the same mistake again, James. This is just a one-off. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast method. Yeah. 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 Actually, I, she's always quiet when she's here. Yeah. It's the James effect. Yeah. And oh, she pod- right. This is a podcasting baby. Oh, really? She can be on Zoom podcasting. She can be here podcasting. <laughs> this is the way Neve is. I mean, she's really not supposed to be asleep now. She, no. she not long had a nap, so I don't really know what's going on. So she's, I do, I actually- She's am, given a window. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm waking up to this theory that maybe <laughs> the sound of your voice does send her to sleep. This is a good thing. See, I'm going to start marketing the James cast <laughs> yes. as, look, you, you know, you're having trouble with your children sleeping, put me on and you'll get a little bit of informative entertainment and your child goes to sleep. Oh, so is it how you speak or is it what you say that's sending her to sleep? We've well, you've already said question. it's all useless. <laughs> it's like my students would concur because, you know, in the middle of a lecture, I'll break into, oh, by the way, did you know about passion fruits? And then, okay, let's get back on top. <laughs> and how do they feel about that? Do they look at their watch they, and think they, they this kind of go, could have been what? done 30 what? minutes ago? What is this guy talking about? Why? <laughs> Why? And I, I said, that was your commercial break. That was something just to get your mind off topic. Now let's get back to talking about Foucault. It's like, okay. You know, we used to have a business studies teacher who would have, uh, we, we all had to take it in turns each week of bringing sweeties and it was Sweetie Friday. And at, in the middle of the lesson, we were allowed to take the jar of sweets around and have a chat for 10 minutes and then get back to business studies. And he really believed that that was his special sort of tool to keep us on track yeah. because we were allowed to get off track for a bit. Okay. Did it work? Uh, well, we all loved business studies. <laughs> we all love business studies Fridays. Oh, oh yeah. He was just trying to get his ratings yeah. up. That's what he was trying to do. We got a high rating. I, I mean, who, what 18 year old doesn't like sweets? Yeah. It? There we go. Right? Yeah. Well, okay. So are, are we, are we actually talking schizophrenia? We are. Mm. Yeah. But before we do that, the thing, how are things, how are things doing for you, Cheryl? Well, what can I say? Not work-wise, just things yeah, are going well. I'm really great. Yes, things are really good. I'm in a really good place at the moment. Okay. So yeah. I just had a rant about that actually with Kev. Really? What? About the fact that, that there are so many organizations and people and things that, that just aren't They've, they've dropped the ball. That's I mean, end game. The end of the conversation is these organizations and it could be the big ones right down to the small ones. They have just dropped the ball because they're not really engaging with the people who they're there, who work with them or that they interact with and just 
really being cognizant of the fact that there's so much going on. As, as my wife said to me this morning, I don't know how you keep listening to that stuff. And I was listening to BBC World. And just as she came in, the BBC World podcast, my favorite, actually, it's a really good podcast. Uh, and and they, they pronounce some of the, so I hear multiple podcasters on this thing, pronouncing people's names. And it, even the BBC can't pronounce people's names oh. consistently. So I'm not actually sure what this one presenter's name is because I've heard it pronounced three different ways by three different people on the BBC. <laughs> so it's like- That's not very BBC. I know, so it's the podcast. Anyway, the point being, you know, we've got COVID, we've got all sorts, and that's just one little thing, right? But that, that's giant. And no one seems to be thinking about, hey, how are people doing? Like how- Yeah, so should I give you the lowdown on what's happening? Okay, why not? Then I'm we'll get saying into that it. I'm doing well, but what yeah. I would say, I'd agree with that. I think there's so many people now that have got anxiety. Oh man, yeah. It's through the roof. Like mm. all sorts of people are coming to see me because they feel really anxious. And you can see on Instagram and other forums, everybody's anxious. And I think it's just that is- People have been working at home for a long time. Yeah. They're not necessarily connected with anybody. People are lonely. Yeah. People are really feeling hemmed in because they can't get home to be with their families and families oh. can't get here. So I'd say that's a, you know, a lot of what's going on at the moment out there. I don't think that's how we're meant to live. No. Not meant to live like this. You know, it's, and of course, it's going to affect people. And I, I think it's awful when it affects adults, of course, but I fear for the children. Yeah. I think it's so sad that so many teenagers and children are having to go through it because to be isolated at that age, it's just, it's so sad. And you wonder what knock-on effect that will have if this continues into their adulthood. Mm. Yeah, I think we've done well in Dubai compared to yeah. other places, I have to say. The group that I do feel sorry for is all of those uh, people that worked really hard, got amazing results, got into an overseas university in the States, yep. UK, Australia, and they haven't been able to go. And so they're just sitting in their bedroom trying to have, you know, this great university experience. And it's just been reduced to being online, sometimes in the middle of the night, doing your classes. And I think that's been really yeah. upsetting. I mean, as a lecturer, I, I mean, I, I like Zoom, I embrace it, but I think it's useful for some things and, but it doesn't give you that relationship with your students. Yeah. They're not getting the college experience that no. they were hoping for. No, not at all. And I was on campus uh, for for final exams and ran. there was a lot of students there. And it was just, they were all kind of, I mean, it was great because they were there, but there wasn't excitement. Yeah. It was more, okay, I'm here for an exam. I've got to stay socially distanced. I've got my mask on. Okay. And it was just kind of like, okay, we, we've really got to rethink this a little bit. Absolutely. I think that's really important. I think young people in particular do like to be around yeah. other people. And I think in university and school, as you're saying, it's so much part of how you develop your social skills, you're developing yeah. your personality, you're developing your interests. And we just need human contact. So I think it is going to be quite tough um, for quite a lot of kids. I, I worry as well about, you know, you're saying about university. My belief is that university is part educational. Right. But there's a huge other part yes. to university life about growing your independence, learning to live without your parents, exactly. learning to cook your own meals, yeah. etc. And also having a load of fun. Who doesn't, especially in the yes. UK, so many of my friends went to university. They didn't go for an education. They went to have a good time. Yeah. And I think that's, it's the only time you really get where you are broken off from your parents. You're not in work and you don't have responsibilities where you haven't got children or you've got to think about a mortgage or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You just get to live and have fun and be a bit free. And I think it's really sad that people aren't going to get to have that. Yeah. And there's just now, there's, there's even anxiety though 
with, with folks who've been vaccinated that we might be living here and it's opened a lot more, although you keep seeing the numbers, which, which are great, but they only, they're one number. They don't represent a whole bunch of other information. And so, but we still look at the numbers. It's like, well, what's the number today? Even though it honestly isn't telling us all of the picture. And I I don't mean the authorities aren't doing a good job. They're doing a great job, but no authorities are saying, okay, we have 1500 cases today. How many of those are hospitalizations? How many of those are just registering positive with no symptoms, asymptomatic? I mean, I want to know the breakdown and where are they? You know, in a country like this, if I got 1500 cases, how many are in Dubai? Do we know the part of Dubai? Yes, exactly. Clearly we do, because we know where people go to get tested. Mm. <sighs> do you know what nobody's talking about, and I'm no. really curious, is how, how how many people are left to get COVID? Because yeah. surely majority <laughs> of the population now have had COVID. Yeah. And if, if that's the case, then that puts us in a really great position, because yeah. we should all have a level of antibody resistance. Yeah. And I, I have no idea, because I don't look at the numbers, James, yeah. for that exact reason. I, f- I feel like they mean nothing yeah. to me. Yeah. How many people have got the common cold at the moment, or a very mild version of the the flu. Yeah. Um, but I am curious to think, well, at what point do we reach almost a hundred percent people yeah. that have had COVID? But would any, would, would we ever reach a hundred percent with COVID? I don't know. I don't see, is there a reason why not? I think it's just those variants, mm, right? And there's what? in socially isolated countries, such as the UK, I think it'd be more difficult, but here in Dubai, we have continued a general normal life, uh, which yeah. I think has been better for, for a lot of people. And it is, it tend to be a younger population, etc. Yeah, And then that doesn't take away from the more severe types of COVID. And I know that they have struggled with ventilators like they have in other countries. And if you have had to go to ICU, then is there a bed available, et cetera, et cetera. And it's certainly been very difficult for a lot of people. And I know a lot of people that have lost their life through COVID yeah. who have otherwise been very healthy, mm. but there have been a lot of young people that have had it and have been completely asymptomatic. So there's got to be a number of, a huge number of people that have had it and not even realized that they had it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting times. And that causes more anxiety, right? It's like, what's it going to end? I think it's just to say, so I think it's the people that are now still being ultra cautious, even with the vaccination. I do think at what point do people start getting back to some kind of normality? Yeah. 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 To be continued. Yeah. yeah. We we find it really hard when we're talking on our podcast show not to get caught up with having the COVID combo. I think it's essential. Every Everywhere you go, you've got to have at least your 10 minute COVID yeah. conversation, haven't you? I think it would, nowhere would be good right now if we didn't have that. Well, my, my two boys were super excited because they both got vaccinated. So, oh, yeah. they, they, you know, they've, uh, and what did they get? One Pfizer, one Moderna. So they're, okay. they're happy enough that they're, you know, they didn't pick. They just went for whatever it was and, and away they go. I think for us, that's been the hardest point is, you know, the boys are away and they're, you know, they're, they're doing whatever they do, but you're not there Yeah, just to have them over for dinner or to have a chat and what's going on. And yeah. as they hunt for apartments and, you know, finish through school and, and work and you're just not there. Yeah. I think that's been the hardest part, just not being there and yeah. not that feeling that you might not be able to get there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and what extremes will you go to, to get there? You know, do I have to quarantine? I'll do it. You know, yeah. And, can, you know, and that, and I think for us, that was, that's a really big one because we could go back to Canada and, and there's great prices right now. I mean, we could fly Qatar direct to Montreal and we were looking at, I mean, the other day. So again, I'm, I'm timestamping us, but we said two for two right. economy class, 4,000 Durham's to Montreal. Wow. Well, that's not bad. Return. That's, really good. that's a 15 hour flight. Wow. Well, you mean you fly to, to Qatar and then from there it's, you know, it's going to be a 13 hour flight, so it's a 12 hour flight, but we can't do it 
because, you know, just to fly in and say, okay, we're coming back for a week or two weeks. Can't do it because we got to spend quarantine partly in a hotel, then home isolation. I can't, it, it doesn't work for that spontaneity. The spontaneity has gone. And that's, that, that just wreaks havoc on your brain. Yeah. I think a lot of people living in the UAE chose to do so because of the accessibility and the yeah. number of flights going to the home countries. And I don't know whether necessarily, like I know, for instance, you and I, James, yeah. definitely wouldn't necessarily have chosen to be here if we thought we couldn't get home exactly. easily. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's difficult, isn't it? I what s- do you do? I said to my wife, I said, I think we've already had round one of people who've rethought their expat, expatriate lifestyle. I think we're going to have round two after this summer. I said, I've got no proof of this. This is just me dreaming, but I think people are going to go home if they can get home and they're going to look around and they're going to go not, and they're just going to say, you know what? I need to be closer to home. Yeah. And do I have a job? Not necessarily. Is it going to be a, a great paying job? Well, I'm going to have taxes and other things that I'm going to have to deal with, but you know what? I need to be closer to home. So I think round two is coming. But equally, we also have to remember that it's temporary. Yes. And that it's important not to make such big life decisions because it's been a tough time. It has been a tough time, but eventually things will gradually return to some kind of normality. And it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. You don't kind of want to be waking up in, I don't know, I was going to say rainy Manchester (laughs) or something. (laughs) But rainy Manchester. Rainy London, maybe. Maybe, maybe it was a bit of a knee jerk reaction. Manchester does rain an awful lot more than London. So that would be a fair comment. I think it's a fair comment. Manchester's famous for raining. But those knee jerk reactions, that's a real big problem because then that just causes more anxiety right oh, I made the wrong decision and now look what I'm stuck with and I gave up something great and uh, yeah exactly because people that have been here for a while really do have lives here they really yeah. are invested yeah. and if you preempt something if you go back really before you're ready that can create other problems yeah. Um, mm. so yeah to be continued to be continued <laughs> yeah we, we wanted to talk about schizophrenia and bipolar disorder that's where we I think the reason is, is it's quite easy when we're doing podcasts like this to talk about what affects everyone. And anxiety is something that touches everybody's life pretty much, you know, during the course of their life. And there's a bit of a mystery around schizophrenia bipolar. It's often represented in films and usually not in the best way. It's it's sort of dramatised to a a way that makes it quite a scary illness. And then I I started reading about it because I'm schizophrenia. I'm going, I know what schizophrenia is. Started reading about it going, Everything I know is from media of some sort, mostly entertainment media. And as I'm reading, I'm going, it's all wrong. <laughs> it's like, it, it's, it, this is not what it is. Yeah. And, but that, that term is thrown out so easily and associate, oh, you, you know, you, you know, are you, you know, you'll hear people sitting around and it's terrible, but they'll, they're sitting around the comments, you know, oh, are you a schizo? Yeah. And the way it's being used is not what schizophrenia is. And actually it's, it's probably rather insulting to someone who is suffering from schizophrenia. Absolutely. I think those pejorative terms like schizo and psycho yeah. Yeah. Um, are very much used on a daily basis, All aren't the they, sadly? It's... And I, absolutely, I think it really stigmatizes people that do actually have schizophrenia and feels this fantasy about what schizophrenia is. Yeah. I mean, it got me thinking, and, and you can jump back in here a sec, Jenna, but it got me thinking, the way that ter- those terms are, are thrown about, you, I mean, I could be sitting downstairs in the lobby here at the Rove talking with someone and just, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're a little schizo today. 
And that person might actually be suffering from schizophrenia. Yeah. They might be diagnosed and working through things to manage this. And you're just, it's just, I thought, oh man. Yeah. I mean, it really, as I started reading about this, I realized wow, you really have to be more, more cognizant of what this is and just really a little bit more cautious on using terminology that, that is just not fit to be used yes. in common day parlance. Because what you're alluding to is the fact that somebody living a very normal life might be suffering from schizophrenia. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have this connotation that if you have schizophrenia or severe bipolar, that you are someone that's a murderer. And, and yeah. it's, you know, there's a the famous film it. Psycho. Yeah. Yes. Just yeah. think yes. of that. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that these people, you know, there is a link um, with very, very severe untreated aspects of schizophrenia. There can be the time that they might hurt somebody, but how much of the rest of the population do you also get people that hurt others? You know, it's it's not as if schizophrenia murder, murderer, that, that's, that's a wrong link to make. Yeah. Um, but that's what a lot of people will think of firsthand. Yeah. So, so what is schizophrenia? Hmm. Schizophrenia is... Well, what is schizophrenia? Primarily schizophrenia is a delusional disorder. So when you meet somebody who has schizophrenia, they will have developed some very unusual thoughts and beliefs that mm. they believe to be 100% real. And over time... Um, so all of when you say thoughts and beliefs, like so, for example, somebody might become incredibly suspicious. They might think, okay. for example, a classic one is thinking that you're being followed, thinking that your phone is being tapped by something like the FBI or the CIA or whichever country you live in mm. will have their own specific um, intelligence services. And often, people with schizophrenia will develop this idea that their phone is being tapped. They will have ideas that. Uh, ideas of reference so maybe they're watching television and something comes on the television they'll believe that the whole show or the newscast or something like that is directed at them or mm. that there's a special message right. within the television program or a particular tv character is conveying special messages to them so that's what I mean about mm. it being a dis delusional disorder sometimes people will develop a belief um, that maybe they're John the Baptist, for example. Okay. Yeah, so, so they take on a personality, they figure, not they take on a personality, but they might believe I'm John the Baptist. I'm Joan of Arc. I'm, I'm Joan of Arc. I'm Ma or again, I'm Michael Jackson or I'm something, right, okay. or I'm married to a very famous person. And you're describing television shows. I've watched all of these characters <laughs> on shows. Uh, yeah. So that's what I mean about a delusion and, and it's fixed. Okay. And so they a hundred percent believe it. So when you talk to somebody who is um, in the midst of a psychotic episode, they will a hundred percent believe that what they're thinking and what they're seeing is the truth. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, wow. it's very difficult to get them to consider an alternative perspective. You, you mentioned a word, episode yeah, and that they're in this episode. So if I'm believing these things, if I'm, if, if I'm having a, a, an episode, how, how long do these kind of things last? Are they indefinite or do they tend to have sort of, is it sort of like an ebb and flow mm. format? So yeah, people have episodes of schizophrenia and the length, the duration of these um, psychotic episode can vary. 
sometimes you might be in that for a few weeks or a couple of months. And in more acute cases, I work with people where they've really been lost in that delusion for a year or more, where they're really fixed on these ideas. Um, uh, Yeah, so it can vary. And the important thing to say, it is episodic. So you will have periods of recovery in between uh, the episodes of being floridly psychotic. So does, does that person, when they're in an episode and then when they come out of that episode, do they realize that they were in that episode and that, Oh, you know, hold on a second that my thinking was, I was, why would I think that? Do they, do they, are they able to compartmentalize and sort of look at themselves or not usually? It depends on the severity of your illness and also other individual factors like your ability to have insight. I have to say it's actually really painful to sit with somebody as they gradually begin to think the delusion that they've been lost in or caught up in might not be true. And you can imagine it's like now you've got a clear idea of who you are and what your reality is, your wife, your kids. Now imagine if you, that suddenly was all being taken away from when you say, no, actually that's a delusion. That's not you. That's none of that is real. It's a very, very, it can be a very distressing time for people. But it can also work the other way as well because they're, with schizophrenia, you very commonly can get a paranoid schizophrenia or schizophrenia with paranoia. It's that's there's different called. types of schizophrenia and different different levels of schizophrenia. Oh, well, this, this one's quite, nightmare. this is, tends to be quite common and okay. it can be so frightening. I mean, it's so frightening for them because imagine if you think people are trying to get you yeah. and you, they often will try to self-medicate with alcohol or drugs and that's why they have uh, huge rates of, of, of sort of substance abuse. And it's because they're just trying to run away and they're frightened and that can be very hard to watch as well well, because I just, I can't even imagine what it is like to have to live through that. Likewise, I have seen a few patients that have lost family members and they have then gone on to develop hallucinations where the family member is with them saying, please kill yourself and come and join me. And, and the torment of what, you know, what should I do when they have to be um, taken away multiple times to stop themselves from hurting, hurting themselves, ultimately trying to reach the family member. And it's a hallucination. It's not real. But to them, it is very, very real. So it depends, I suppose, what delusion it is that they're having at that time. Mm. Yeah, the delusions can vary. Um, And definitely delusions that people are trying to kill you is very prevalent. So you can imagine the amount of fear uh, that goes with that. Or the other thing to say is people with schizophrenia have usually... uh, different kinds of hallucinations. They have auditory hallucinations, which is, I think, what you're referring to, isn't it? Is that they'll have the voice of somebody in their head. They're often what we call command hallucinations. Often the voice is instructing that person to do something negative, like harm yourself, cut yourself, jump off the bridge, um, don't believe your mom, she's the devil. They've got those sorts of things, mm. uh, hallucinations, those sorts of auditory hallucinations that are instructing them to do things. The, the numbers of, of people globally who've been diagnosed with schizophrenia, over 20 million worldwide, according to the World Health Organization, as Jenna said, they, they you know, they, they can find ways to self-medicate and treat themselves. If they're not seeking help, they tend to pass away. They tend, according to the World Health Organization, two to three times more likely to die earlier than the general population. So what do we do? Mm. 
Like, how do we, I mean, I'm listening to this. It, it's just hearing you talk about it makes me feel sad in a sense to think that someone, this has happened to someone. So, I mean, the, my first question is, okay, so how, how does schizophrenia even come about? And then what do we do and, or how do we, how does someone get treated for this? And, and do people necessarily want to be treated? I mean, I, I would think they do, but if, if you're having an episode, maybe you're happy with the way the episode is. I mean, I don't know. Mm. So how, how does schizophrenia happen? Yeah. Should I say, or do you want to say? I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll start and then yeah. Cheryl's, yeah. Cheryl's just, just the pick expert. Up on each other so you're the medical <laughs> doctor, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say, but perhaps you can say. Cheryl is the expert when it comes <laughs> to anything like this. So, um, you know, let's remember I'm not a psychiatrist. But usually, so first of all, um, how do you get schizophrenia? Yeah. There is a family link, but a family member having schizophrenia doesn't mean that you're going to get it. And likewise, if you don't have a family member with schizophrenia, you may still get it. There's a lot of research that's going into what happens sort of at the infancy stage. So when you were a baby or just a before you were born, were you starved of oxygen at any time? Did you have a, a nasty viral illness? You know, so there is a lot of thoughts around the newborn phases. Did something mm. happen then that potentially affected the brain somehow that could go on to lead schizophrenia. It's also, there's a, a lot of encouragement, as we say, with absolutely everything about have they had a healthy diet as they're growing up, have they been ex like having exercise and a normal upbringing? So it's kind of a little bit question mark, but there is a few, it's, it's kind of multifactorial basically. And then the way that you, it's, it can be quite hard to spot. People will often have a feeling that there's something not quite right with their child, but they don't know what it is. And they find that they start to become socially withdrawn or they say odd things or they might have illusions of grandeur and they speak about themselves in quite an inflated fashion that just doesn't quite feel right. And um, maybe they start to dress quite dark or they they might lose because often these people have negative um negative symptoms, which basically means they can lack a facial expression. Um they can speak quite monotone or quite flat, almost like you would see with someone with quite a severe depression. Um, and they might they might notice changes like this and that's usually how they might go to seek help. And that's that's why I would encourage other people as well, if you see things like this, to go and seek help. But I'm sure Cheryl's got a whole barrage no, of extra think, think info no, <laughs> to add. That's right. I suppose the general thing that we think with um, schizophrenia is that we're not 100% certain uh, what causes it. Um, it's a combination of, like Jen is saying, genetic factors. So there's an increased risk if you have a parent, for example, that has schizophrenia that increases your chance mm. of also having schizophrenia but that doesn't automatically mean it's not you, it's not inherit it doesn't mean you'll automatically get it okay so it's not hereditary it's not hereditary or there's not direct heritability mm. but there is an increased risk factor and then there's your environment where you grow up where you're you know, the interactions you have in school, the dynamics in your family. There's quite a bit of research that shows children that grow up in really highly volatile home environments where there's lots of fighting and mm. uh, arguments can be a, a trigger. And I guess the number one, the number one factor is stress. Mm. And so we could all, you know, different people could be born with the vulnerability for um, developing schizophrenia. But if their life is relatively okay, then they probably won't get it. But for some people, if you have that vulnerability and there are enough stress factors in your life, that seems to be one of the main triggers for mm. developing your first psychotic episode. Okay. Yeah. So a lot to do with stress. Yeah. So it almost sounds like it's, it's almost like a chemical imbalance or yes. something going on that 
that then triggers through your, your complete environmental ecosystem. Yeah, and that's a really important point to say is that there is an organic element to schizophrenia. Something really is happening organically in the brain. It's not just a psychological uh, disorder. Something organic is happening. You know, what's interesting, though, is that in countries such as India, in parts of India, it's been found that people manage their schizophrenia a lot better because of the whole family unit. Mm. Whereas here, say in the UAE as expats, we have much smaller family units, somewhere where they are surrounded by families. They either have lower rates or they actually just manage schizophrenia better and they're a lot more stable. I don't know whether that's something you're, I'm sure it is that you've you've heard, but I thought that was quite fascinating. Well, it's... Yeah, and this is when I fall into the... (laughs) There is quite a lot of research, actually, even in the UAE, because I've worked in a psychiatric hospital here, uh, people seem to have less severe episodes of schizophrenia. And I think that is a lot to do with the society, the Mm. level of family support, access to medical teams that are um, not too prescriptive, like they're quite open-minded. So that removes some of the stigma around having schizophrenia because people don't invest too much in the in the diagnostic label. Um, Which is a, I mean, I'm thinking true. that has got to be, a, you know, depending on the society you're from, yeah. schizophrenia, you know, and, and, and in other societies, they might say schizophrenia, okay, we got to deal with this. And the family sort of circles the wagon and okay, we're, we're going to deal with this. We're going to deal with it and we're not going to get so hooked upon the label. And it's about what can we do to support that person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think there's quite a lot of research, as Jenna sh- sh- um, said, in places like India and the Middle East, that sometimes people with schizophrenia, the care system somehow um, reduces the severity mm. of the severity of the distress they're experiencing when they're psychotic. I feel like there's a but, but go on. So there's there's definitely a but coming. No, 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 the but. No, but. <laughs> can you feel it? Can you feel yeah, it? Yeah, I can feel a but. I, I think can feel for a but. Me, because I do feel really strongly about schizophrenia because it's so misunderstood, is one of the remarkable things that's happened in modern day science is we now have antipsychotic medications yes. and people with schizophrenia absolutely need to take antipsychotic medications. Mm. Um, One, because it helps alleviate the distressing symptoms they're having, but also if you have untreated schizophrenia, it causes long-term organic brain damage. So you're reducing the functionality of the brain um, if you leave schizophrenia untreated. And that's why we take it really seriously of trying to intervene as quickly as possible and trying to ensure that people are compliant with their medication. Also for the short term as well, because what Cheryl said is that it can affect the brain long term. But in the short term, as I've said, sometimes people are being told to, or given commands to do terrible things to themselves or even to other people. And that's in very severe cases, but you want to avoid that happening anyway. Yeah. Um, so, and it would also try and reduce the, um, the substance misuse that can occur too. I mean, yes. I'm, I'm listening to this and, and the big question that it keeps rattling around in my brain is we're, you know, we're talking a little bit about medication, antipsychotic medication becomes really important. Having an infrastructure, getting counseling, except all of these things become, where, where, where does the sort of the buck stop in that, someone is put into put the, the, the ball is put in motion to start treating them 
for schizophrenia or even the suggestion that, you know, I think you might have schizophrenia. You, you need to get this, you, you need to get this, you need to get diagnosed. When, when is, is that the gray area where we run into problems that there are so many people walking around or in situations where they don't know that this is going on and they don't know that this can be treated. They're falling through the cracks and, and it leads to so many problems. Like mm-hmm. when does that start? Like where, how, do, how does that start? Yeah. Well, should I say, or do you want to say? Yeah, yeah. go on, carry on. I think with schizophrenia, it's considered an acute psychiatric illness, and um, no one wants to hear that word. So as soon as you say psychiatric illness, but it, people it, kind of like. I know, but it really is. But yeah. the, it's not that there's anything wrong with having schizophrenia. It's as we were saying earlier, it's the stigma attached to it. If mm. we could just be much more open-minded about what it really is, yeah. it is an illness, and it can be treated. It's a very, very serious illness. And when people are floridly psychotic, sometimes we have to forcibly detain people in a psychiatric unit. So their Mm. rights to live freely in society are temporarily removed and we would enforce treatment. And Mm. and that's a very, that's very unusual that um, for other mental health conditions, but um, people who are floridly psychotic are a risk to themselves and possibly a risk to other people. Mm. And they absolutely have no insight. You can't say, oh, look, I think you need to come in for a couple right. of days and take your medication. Because <laughs> when people are floridly psychotic, you're not, they're not able to have that level of understanding or awareness. So that's another symptom is complete mm. lack of insight. Really? Yeah. But as Cheryl said, that's in the really acute stage yes. where everything has got, um, you, we talked about the episodic nature of it. And that's- is is that just a small aspect. group of people like who get to that point? I mean, when you, I mean, you live in this environment. So if you have schizophrenia, there will always be a point nine times out of 10, it will be so severe that it will require okay. a period of hospitalization. Now, what you see when people, when people are really well managed and they've got a good team around them, hmm. they may still have a relapse, which means that we might admit them to hospital for shorter periods of time because we can, move quickly we can admit them quickly and you can increase or modify the medications and put other protocols in place which reduces the length of time someone will be in hospital but certainly what something we do a lot in the UK is we try to treat people in the community because going into hospital is really stressful Mm. so a lot of the work that you're doing is trying to prevent a hospital admission and as much as possible helping people lead meaningful lives in the community so I, I mean, this all makes sense to me. The the question that I, it's just rattled around in my brain is if we can catch this early. And I mean, if, if someone is going to manifest schizophrenia, it, it probably doesn't just happen when they're in their thirties. It's probably been a slow burn from when they've been young, et cetera. Do, do you think we're missing it in our younger children? And because we don't, a, you know what to look for. They're just kids. I mean, that's the thing. Oh, they're just kids. They're, they're doing things. Do you think that's part of the challenge that we face is, is just recognizing it and having our teachers and parents who don't want to admit that there could be an issue just to sort of flag and say, Hey, this is something I need to talk to the pediatrician about this. Is something I need to talk to the counselor about this. Is something I need to, maybe it's nothing, but maybe it's something. Mm. 
I think what you've just said is hits the nail on the head is often people don't want to admit it, especially yeah. if it's their child. And sometimes you just think that maybe they're just a bit of an odd character and it's written off. And so they don't necessarily present for help because it could be something or it could be nothing. Mm. But I think if you have a gut instinct as a, as a parent or as a teacher or somebody that works in the educational system, there's something just not quite right. And as I say, they're becoming quite socially withdrawn. Yeah. There's no harm in going to have a conversation with your general practitioner and maybe, and then they can do an assessment and then look at potential referral or not. And it's such, you know, as Cheryl said, it's a very severe psychiatric disorder. No parent wants to hear that. Mm. Um, and I, I think that there's a huge fear. There's also still a stigma attached around it. Um, and people are afraid actually of, of sort of coming to terms and admitting that the, there is a problem. Um, on the other foot, I do think these days we love giving, we've talked about not diagnosing and not giving labels. These days yeah. we also, we love to diagnose things. Yeah. Um, and we probably find that people are going to their doctors a lot quicker than they used to. And maybe that is why, as sort of Cheryl said before, um, in certain countries we're not giving a diagnosis of schizophrenia when it does actually exist there. Mm. Um, but maybe we look at rates and potentially they're increasing. And it's, are they increasing or are we just diagnosing quicker? Yeah. Um, I know, for instance, if there was something with my boys I'd be very quick to want to go and, and take them and sort of my always thought to try and nip it in the bud and try and get it early and because mm. if you can get these people on appropriate treatment yeah. you can get them seeing the right people providing the right environment for them there's no reason why they can't in the large have a, a relatively normal life I've sat down with lots of patients that have schizophrenia and you wouldn't know that there was anything going on mm. especially when they are in, in between psychotic episodes mm. absolutely just to say that you can have schizophrenia in childhood, but it's actually really quite rare. Okay. Yeah. So that's important for parents to bear in mind, but it obviously it does happen. But normally schizophrenia will start if, to show itself maybe in later adolescence. Um, I have the twenty early 20s in my mind. Yeah. Late adolescence to early 20s, you will meet the person might have their first breakdown, but it can be very, very difficult to know if somebody has schizophrenia because there's a phase, which I won't get too technical, it's called the pro, it's a prodromal. And during that phase, as Jen is saying, people, the young person might start to display some unusual behaviours. Mm. Maybe they become very obsessive. Maybe they suddenly withdraw from their friends. Maybe they stop washing. They seem quite depressed. But on the other hand, they're still functioning. They're still going to school. They're still doing their work. And actually, that's that's the beginning of the illness. And actually, we do in the UK a lot of work to try and identify people in that prodromal sin, uh, area with the prodromal phase, because you can really proactively intervene and that can really help to change the course of the illness. Hmm. If you start, if you can identify it early and that you can try to start medications and other treatments that can really, really help and make a difference. But it's hard, isn't it? Because you're not saying they're doing X, Y, Z. It's yeah. not It's not as, as clear a diagnosis. It is a clear diagnosis for somebody within Cheryl's field. But for the Joe public, it's not like the very wishy-washy type symptoms, aren't they? Yeah. It's not It's not as clear cut, which is why you have got, it's good to educate people about it so that they're alert to it. And they might 
sort of look at mm. the, the myriad symptoms that are coming together and then want to take them to see oh, the it's, right it's professional. The extremes are pretty easy to understand, but it's the, yeah. the very mild It's issues. the mild, it's a mild changes. And then sometimes the young person will also get a bit better and they start yeah. to go back to their friends and they start to take an interest in sport again. And then, so it was, what was going on there? What was that really just a phase? Were they really ill? But then something else will happen. So... <sighs> School tends to be one of those things that I'm thinking 20s, heading off to college, heading off to university. Okay, we're we're not doing that right now because of what we're in in some cases, but what perfect opportunity for all of these, you know, the perfect storm to happen and and for this to become an issue. And, and that, again, brings me back to when we're at school, parents are away, you're living with, with maybe roommates, you're living on campus are you're more detached. Whereas at least when you're in high school and middle school and grade school, you've got a teacher on you or a group of teachers that are on you through high school, they get less and less, but at least they're seeing you and, and watching things change in university. You're, you're like a log floating in a downstream. You're lucky if you bump into somebody. Exactly. <laughs> and actually universities, uh, especially the first two years of university yeah. is when you're more likely to see somebody having their first full psychotic episode. Mm. Um, so it's about that age group and it's also about, I think, that stress of moving away from home and not having family support and all of the things around you that maybe helps to mask some of the symptoms because you've got your mum at home probably making sure you get out of bed yeah. and they drive you to school. And, and they have got, a talk, you know, what's going on? And they want to say, yes. you know, okay, what's going on? Sit down as they talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Yeah, they're going to feed you and all of those yeah. things. But when when you go to university, you don't, as you said, you don't have all of those structures in place. Yeah. And that's often when someone will have their first episode. Yeah. It's so, a lot more common than you think as well. That's something to note. Yes. I think you think it's such a minority and it's not really, you know, I think um, figures are something like one in a hundred people that can have that's a, lot. a psychotic episode. That's a psychotic episode in their life. Yeah. So it's, it's that's still a lot. But it's a lot more than you would think. Yeah. I don't, you, pro you probably know um, the statistics better than I do, Sharon. Yeah, I don't know if I can quote the statistics, but there's a difference between having a psychotic episode so, and, and having yes. schizophrenia. So any oh, okay. anybody can have a psychotic episode. Even depression can cause a, psych yeah. a psychotic episode. So that's instance. it. So any one of us could have a brief psychotic episode. So you sometimes see that in the population, but schizophrenia is a different illness to having a brief psychotic episode. Mm. That's, I actually, yeah. that's a whole other term yeah, that gets just thrown yeah, around. It gets you a bit complicated. Well, yeah. when, but when you think of it, someone says, oh, you're, you're having a psychotic, psychotic episode. And it, that just encompasses everything. I'm trying to, I'm trying to see if I can find the statistics. I'm sure it's actually one in a hundred that had um, schizophrenia, which I thought was particularly high. I didn't think it was that high. Yeah. Um, I didn't think I it was that it. high. Um, yeah, I'm trying to say, if I, we might have to on the next podcast <laughs> give, give the tagline, but I think it was actually one in a hundred. But I thought that, that seemed a little high, but it is that what we're saying is it's more common than you think. Yeah. And and when we talk about being more common than we think, especially in mild schizophrenia, do people realize that they have schizophrenia or that there's an issue that they're, I mean, I, I just wonder because of the way schizophrenia seems to manifest itself and, and develop if it's very possible. And as you said, it, you said much earlier, it's actually a little sad when you're, when you're having a, a session with someone and they start to realize that, 
you know, they were going through a, an episode of schizophrenia. Yes. It's like waking up from a bad dream. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I guess thinking about all of the people that you would have interacted with and spoke to and maybe not physically hurt, but just mentally feel like you've let them down and the embarrassment and yeah. stuff must just be brutal to deal with. It's huge shame and embarrassment for lots of people when they come out of it. And yeah. also that sadly makes them a little bit that increases the risk of maybe attempting suicide because your whole yeah. sense of everything is collapsing and it's, you know, maybe you've acted in ways that you would never dream of, of acting. And when people hear what they've said or what they've intimated, they might do to people. They can be so consumed with feelings of embarrassment, shame and guilt. They just, you know, they can't reconcile what they were doing when they were psychotic and what they were saying yeah. with the person that they know themselves to be and the values and beliefs that they otherwise um, would have. They would never normally think of hurting anybody right. or swearing or yeah. blaspheming or any of those things. Yeah. Um, it, it, when, when someone's diagnosed with schizophrenia, is this a lifelong diagnosis? This is something that now when you're diagnosed you, you need to work or, or work at it with counseling, with medications, or does it disappear? Um, you don't, you will never, you don't recover from schizophrenia. Okay. So once you have schizophrenia, it's a lifelong illness. Um, but as Jenna is saying is you will meet people living full lives. They'll be working. They will have children. They will be enjoying aspects of their life yeah. um, and also beyond, you know, living with schizophrenia, but there's a whole range. There's a whole range of spectrum right. of where you might fall um, with um, schizophrenia. I, I'm, I'm thinking of a show that I watch um, American show, Shameless, I've which never the, seen it. The, there was a British, it, it started in the UK yeah. and I think it went one season or something. The American version has gone 11 seasons and one of the main characters has schizophrenia. Okay. And as you're talking about this, he, th this character has, is medicated and he's gone for counseling and, and things. And I remember a very specific part where he, he has a, you know, he's got a job, he works, he's part of society. And I remember he was, he's an EMT in one, one, one of the seasons and the people at his, his place of work, I've obviously been briefed and he's briefed them. He said, look, if, and, and it was interesting because they'd record, he'd recorded a video that they kept on their phones for when, if, if he ever went into a, a schizophrenic episode that they were to play for him and they knew the people, you know, the family members to call if this happened. And, and I just remember that, that, cause obviously it did happen where he, he had, he had, he had a problem and, the, the rallying of everyone. And the first thing that are you off your meds? What's going on? I, you know, and, and this sort of, we need to get you checked in for some help. We need you. We need to get you balanced again. We need to get, but he, he was irrational. Like he, he was just, he really believed not irrational, but he really believed as you've been describing that this was going on and this was happening. And it, it was really sad, but it was also really warming to see all of these people working to help oh, him. Yeah. The support yeah. system. I, and maybe think the support from the medical community right through to everyone knowing that, yeah, I've got schizophrenia. 
Isn't that what we should be doing? Yeah. Not fearing these people, yes. but supporting them. Because yeah. what we've said, we, I mean, we mentioned just a second ago about psychotic episodes. It's very common that people in the, not not that everybody will get a psychotic episode, but it's very common in life oh, that Cheryl, people get. Cheryl's told us psychotic episodes are a very general it's term. A, we got to be careful with using that no, term. No, no, no. This is what I'm saying. Is <laughs> it, it is a general term. And for instance, a lot of people that have a severe infection, people can say, oh, they're psychotic. They're not. That's a delirium. Yeah. It's a very different thing. Yeah. Yeah. But you can get from a whole different things you can get, whether it's severe stress, depression, whatever, and get a psychotic episode. Where, and it, that is a huge stressful thing. And that is something mm. that somebody will think about for the rest of their life. They might tell them, tell somebody about it. And what we're saying with people with schizophrenia, they are they are subject to that for the course of their life at different times. And, and so this, it, I mean, how awful for somebody to have to carry yeah. that. Yeah. So that's exactly why we should be supporting them. So when somebody, Joe Public, has had an, a psychotic episode, and that is like like a real sort of low point in their life, schizophrenic patients or people with schizophrenia have got to cope with that for the rest of their life. Mm. So I think if we took away a few things from today, it's don't fear it. It's about supporting to make sure they get on the right treatment um, as early as possible, as soon as it's found. Um, and if you do or you are concerned about yourself or somebody's concerned about you, just go and get checked out and have a conversation with someone. It doesn't take doesn't take long. It just takes a quick appointment. That's all. Mm. Is, is stress a big play? I know, I know we're, we're going to wrap here, but is, is stress, I mean, the one word that we keep, I keep hearing as I'm thinking back to everything we've just said, the word stress keeps coming up and we use it in different ways, stressors and things, but is stress a big, is, is stress a key in all of this when you, when you're meeting folks and you're, you're counseling them is, is one of the underlying commonalities stress in their life? Yeah. What you, what you normally find is Prior to a psychotic episode, someone will have been through something really stressful. So you might meet someone who's been really stable with their schizophrenia for a number of years. As I said, they're functioning quite well. But then, for example, they may something might happen like they lose a job or they might have a bereavement. Mm. And something around that is so stressful for them, it can activate um, a, psych an, a schizophrenic episode. So stress plays a really important uh, role in the number of psychotic episodes somebody might yeah. have. I, I get the feeling we just need to talk more about schizophrenia in, yes. in families, at school, with, you know, with our loved ones. Just, you know, if one in a hundred, if that stat stands. I've got to find, I've got, find to, it. I've got to prove this but, that I yeah. saw. <laughs> but, but, you know, even if not, it, 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 when, I'm, when I'm just looking at the numbers from the World Health Organization, 20 million people around the world, you know, and, and, and that's who are, and I don't know which level of schizophrenia they're coming in at, but, it, it, you know, this is just seems to me like this is more common than we want to, then, then we typically might think. And it's something that we need to keep an eye out for. Yeah. And just to, to what Jenny was saying, I just want to say a few key points about it is family members can be stressful. Please don't encourage them to stop taking their medication. This is something I see so often. Just allow the person to stay on the medication. If you have schizophrenia, please stay on your medication. Um, in society, we need to make sure these people are not so lonely and isolated. They're just ordinary human beings that have an illness and they need some support. And wouldn't it be amazing if people that had um, quite severe mental health problems could be coming somewhere like this. 
Like we yeah. need to have amazing centres for rehabilitation and ongoing support for those people that they've got somewhere they can go because there are so many other things beyond medication that people with schizophrenia really benefit from. They do well with art. They do well in groups. They do... podcast. Podcasts. <laughs> Honestly, they really can do amazing things and that's all part of their treatment. So it's not right. just popping a pill and talking to somebody. They really need um, amazing centres where they can be helped uh, to learn to live with their mental health problem and that will stimulate their brain and mm. help with their confidence and help them make friends and be useful. Instead, I'm looking at 1% of the population is, is going to be diagnosed with, with schizophrenia. Really, so yeah. so that's, that's still. Would you think that's a lot of people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's it's a lot. Ladies, thank you very much. This has been this has been a really fun conversation. Right. We've we've learned a lot. Jenna, thank you. No, thanks to Cheryl. She's, Cheryl. You know, she's I the feel expert like I've been here. Talking everybody, but I thought that's we good. You yes. you are supposed to be talking. Right, okay. <laughs> I, I said at the beginning I wasn't even sure if I should, yeah, if I was going to be here. You, you're the boss, Cheryl. Yeah. Today. And look at that, Neve slept through it once yeah. again. Yeah, she slept through it. Well she's done, James. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> thank you both very much. And hey, if you want to get in touch with us, potholics with a K at gmail.com. We're coming to you from the Epic Rove podcast studio downtown Dubai. We'll be doing it all again real soon. Thank you very much for listening. So long for now. Oh, thank you. Sorry about that. I feel like I overspoke. No. But, and we didn't talk about...